Thank you. Well, it's good to be back with you again. And isn't it interesting to picture 200 families receiving a gift, hey? So, great job. <laughs> well, this is the second of three weeks uh, that I'm with you. For those that were here last week, we, Sandy interviewed me a bit of what's my history with the Bible. Uh, I've been asked to speak on tonight, is the Bible still relevant? So, my hope is not to necessarily assert a position, but raise some questions to leave you pondering that. Uh, and next week, then how do you read the Bible, is what we'll be looking at. And I'll just check the time. Beautiful. So I can get off at the right time. Uh, thank you. Beautiful. Okay, here we are. Uh, well, I was chatting to my father-in-law, uh, who's been in ministry inside churches and beyond churches for about 40 years, a couple of weeks back, kind of saying, yeah, look, this is the kind of stuff I'm going to talk about. Uh, and he said, have you heard of this quote that is often attributed to D.L. Moody? He said, when he was a young fella growing up in a church where there was lots of teaching that spoke to the mind, uh, perhaps not as much that spoke to what do you do with that through your life. Uh, he came across this quote and he pulled out his old Bible that he's got it written in the front. And it felt like for me it captured something of my intent uh, tonight. Uh, it is, you might have heard it, and I think it might be on the screen. The Bible was not given to increase our knowledge. Okay, well, what was it given for? But to change our lives. <laughs> and hopefully you glimpsed last week, if you were here, something of, as I've read the word, uh, it's been, well, what does this look like in practice? Uh, next week, we'll actually look at some Bible study tools. And one of them asked the question, if I took this seriously, how would my life change? Uh, two words for knowledge in the Greek New Testament. Uh, one of them is oida, O-I-D-A, and I'm sure a Greek speaker would pronounce it properly. Uh, but it's really about having knowledge of. Uh, I'm now beyond 40, so one of my favourite bands is U2. Okay, well, I'm not the only one, isn't that good? But I think the cheers came of a certain age group in the room, didn't they? None from the front row where my kids are sitting. Uh, I've read a lot about you too. I can name the band members. I can probably mouth lots of their songs. I have quite a lot of knowledge about you too. Uh, so, oida is about having knowledge about... I know something about something or someone. And we can, we can know more about the Bible. Not a bad thing. There's another word that's more for the Hebrew people. You think of the people from the Old Testament, the Hebrews. Uh, this has more to do with the way they approached the world. Uh, they had a word for knowledge called gnosko. <laughs> Again, who knows how good that pronunciation is. Gnosko. Uh, and it was actually to have knowledge that came from experience, not just information. So as we come tonight, or as we come to the Bible, I think the invitation is an experience of the Bible, and not just the experience of the Bible, hopefully an experience of God through the Bible. Because uh, is that not why we open the Bible? <laughs> to actually find out, well, God, 
what are you asking of me? What are you asking of us? Uh, as an individual in school or at uni, as a faith community in the city of Launceston, what are we called to? And I think we just saw on the screen one of those invitations, I expect. So as we approach this, uh, not only to have knowledge about the Bible, but for it to change our lives. That's my hope as we journey through now. Uh, just before the service, uh, I was chatting to someone and saying, hello, and I'm Luke, and all of that. Uh, and I said, well, what do you do? Uh, and this person, you may pick them out, I won't name them, said, oh, I work part of my time, I'm kind of retired. Part of my time is working for a, a group called the William Wilberforce Foundation, working in prisons. And I smiled because I'm going to touch on Wilberforce a bit tonight. Because in looking at, is the Bible still relevant?, I think I actually wanted to tell a couple of stories. Who are some people whose lives are different because they encountered God through the Scriptures? Just to name three, and if you're into reading, there's a, some of you will know this name, Eric Metaxas, a kind of a New York best-selling author. He's written a number of biographies of people, and some of those I named. So if you think, oh, that sounds interesting, I'm pretty sure Kurong or Amazon uh, will have a book. Uh, but Martin Luther, uh, late 1400s, early 1500s, uh, he was a, a monk, or, sorry, a priest in what was essentially kind of the Catholic church. Uh, but the practice of the church at that time and his reading of the scripture, for him there were some things that didn't line up. This is in Germany. Uh, so he did more study, he did more reading, and really started to encounter the God of the Bible, which led to him nailing a whole bunch of questions and comments on the doors of one of the prominent churches in the town of Wittenberg, which got him into a fair bit of hot water. <laughs> but interestingly, he was reading that, the Bible in Latin at that time, and one of the things he felt called to in his life was actually to translate from Latin, which the educated people could read, but not the people on the street. So the people on the street, the people in the churches, needed the priest to interpret the word of God for them. For Luther, he thought, gee, is not, is not God one that ought to be accessible to everyone? So he spent a good part of his days translating essentially, eventually the whole Bible from Latin for the privileged class and educated to, to German so that everyone could read it. And again, if you read about him or, you know, there's a movie called Luther. If you watch that, it's amazing what he got for his trouble, which was a fair bit of trouble himself. Uh, another fella, uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, anyone heard of him? Yeah. This is kind of, depending how long you've been around, this is almost in some of our lifetime. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer again uh, in Germany, but fast-forwarding a couple of centuries, we've all heard of Hitler, yeah, and the Nazi regime. And Hitler, interestingly, I haven't delved too much into this, Hitler, again, I think claiming from the Bible, it said this, well, there's a certain race of people that should have everything and the others we'll just get rid of. Uh, well, Bonhoeffer was a theologian. He wasn't so convinced that was the case. 
And interestingly, he did a whole lot of stuff, started a Bible seminary, uh, was part of one of the leaders in a particular church. Uh, but he was so concerned as he read the scriptures, as he prayed, as he had fellowship with others, he was so concerned about what Hitler and the Nazis were doing, which was sending people to their deaths, that he actually, history says, got involved in a plot to assassinate Hitler. Which I think, I wonder how he came to that from reading the scriptures. <laughs> and people would ask questions about that. But he's quoted as saying, if you see a madman on the road, it's not enough to get out of the way. You've actually got to try and grab the wheel. So I thought of Luther, Bonhoeffer, and I'll talk a bit more about Wilberforce. People who, from reading of the scripture, felt so compelled to act that they did things that either in their own church setting or in the world setting they were in actually got them into some hot water. Uh, Bonhoeffer was actually hung. He was executed for his part in that assassination plot against Hitler. So I'm not suggesting to go out and assassinate people. <laughs> but it's interesting, isn't it? These people took the word and their face so seriously, they took action as a result. But Wilberforce, uh, is anyone in the room 25? Not many. Oh, there's a few. Has anyone in the room ever been 25? If you can remember back that far. <laughs> uh, William Wilberforce, uh, this, is, this is the late 1700s, early 1800s, so a couple of centuries ago. As a 25-year-old, bright, educated, from Yorkshire, he was actually elected as an independent MP to, the, to Britain's parliament. Uh, he and one of his mates, who ultimately became prime minister, young blokes, the up-and-comings. Uh, interestingly, two years later, he had a conversion experience and his life changed. Uh, interestingly, he was a very young MP in the parliament shaping public policy came to faith, and so real was his faith for him, he asked questions about, should I leave my place in the parliament and actually go and study theology? Is that what God is asking of me? Interestingly, he had some mates who said, Wilberforce, look at that position that you have. Uh, is there not more good you can do in parliament than by going off and studying theology? And he got to know a certain educated group uh, in Parliament. And a couple of years after his conversion, that's a noise, isn't it? <laughs> a couple of years after his conversion, actually connected with some people that were saying, slavery is not right in our world. Uh, there were people taken from other countries like Africa uh, to run on plantations, the wealthy were getting richer and people were losing families and lives so that the upper class of England and other places could live well. Uh, so Wilberforce, his mate said, I wonder if this is something, has not God put you in this place for you to shape society differently? And Wilberforce spent the next 20 years, so from 25, 28 to late 40s, 
uh, actually working with a certain group of people in Parliament, trying to get a bill passed that actually outlawed slavery in Britain. It took him 20 years. <laughs> and I don't know, for you, it's a bit easier if you're the other side of 40 like me. I can look back on my last 20 years. Uh, there are some in this room that can't look back 20 years because they haven't hit that mark yet. Hey. But I wonder what would it mean for us to look around and say, what in the world is not right? How do I give some of my life to that? So Wilberforce particularly spent the next 20 years and got to a point of abolishing slavery in Britain. Uh, it took him and others another 20 years again until it was essentially outlawed in the whole uh, empire, which stretched to a whole lot of places at that time. And it was actually, he died having given 42 years as a member of parliament. Uh, he died only three days after that second bill went through outlawing slavery in the whole empire. So from a 25-year-old who came to faith until I think he was 74 when he died, uh, really he spent 50 years working for a society that was more just, for a society where people couldn't just be taken from their homelands to make rich people more money. What I found interesting in the book of uh, reading about Wilberforce, it, he wasn't just on his own. Uh, you might have heard of the Clapham sect. Sect is a, not a great word these days. Sects are things you don't... Sects are things you don't really trust these days. It sounded like something else, didn't it? I'm getting an eye from one of the young blokes. Uh, but that really they were a group... Uh, and they've been described this way. A network and friends and families in England with Wilberforce at its centre who were bound together by their shared spiritual values, their religious mission and social activism, by their love for each other and by marriage. So it wasn't just Wilberforce, but he had a bunch of mates around him that, have you ever stuck at something for, you know, one, oh, I don't want to embarrass someone, it was lovely seeing the younger fella up on the guitar tonight. Did you enjoy that? <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry to embarrass you. I was once that young fella playing guitar, so I probably noticed myself in him. But have you ever had to learn a new thing? And it takes work, does it not? We don't learn habits like that. Uh, but if we stick at it, it's amazing what we can end up doing. If I think of the times I took to learn guitar or piano... If you think of the times you take to learn something, I think of Wilberforce sticking something out for 20 years, kind of to get over the first hurdle, and then really to the end of his life to really get something of lasting impact done. And where did that come from? It came from his faith conversion and having a group of mates who were committed to the word and how it could change the world. So, is the Bible relevant? <laughs> you keep asking the question. Uh, just to drill in on the Bible for a minute and pick out a few things about it. Uh, what do we got? There's, 
The book I referred to last week, How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth. Do you remember that? I've actually, uh, there's a way, if you Google Luke Morgan Communitas, I actually listed some of the resources just on a web page there, if it's helpful to go back to them, because they uh, kind of the went in a snap. Will teach you to understand the Bible uh, but one of the books, How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth, there were four things that I thought were really useful in this context as we say, well, what is the Bible? Uh, you know, and how did it inform Wilberforce and others? Uh, four, I, I think a slide might go up. Uh, if, you, if you dig up that book, you'll find this in chapters two and three, so it goes into more depth than I can in a couple of minutes. Uh, but have you heard it said that the Bible is a library, not just one book? Yeah? And if, I don't know how many of us, I don't carry a physical Bible anymore, <laughs> mine's digital. But if you remember the old physical Bibles um, uh, that had Holy Bible, really Bible comes from the Latin that's really a series of books. And holy is really a book that's set apart because it's about God and God's purposes. There you go. So the Bible is a library, not a book. We carry it around with all of the books uh, and we just flick through. Uh, but to pause, if you look at that, there's a whole bunch, you know, there's the, the Old Testament or the original promise of God to the people of Israel. Uh, there's the New Testament, really where uh, the invitation for the Israelites to be God's chosen people, all of us got in on that story. The Old and the New Testament, there's the different kinds of books. Uh, you can see, second one from the bottom, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, that articulate Jesus' life from different perspectives. Uh, I really like, one of the books I love is the Acts of the Apostles, because if you read that, you see, what did the people who Jesus impacted do? And, and I want to suggest we are the continuation of that book. <laughs> we are still living out the impact of Jesus in our world. Uh, it's gone. You've got the history books. So there's some that are poetry. So much of this you know, I imagine, but I thought I'll underline it given the topic. As you pick different books off the shelves, so to speak, of the Bible, doesn't it to say, well, is this poetry? Is this narrative? Is this teaching? Because that then informs how you read it. Uh, you don't want to take every verse and say, I'll just base my life on this, <laughs> uh, because it comes in a context. Uh, that's one. Two, uh, it's interesting, I really like the way this was put. The Bible is written for us, but not to us. Uh, if you think of some of the New Testament books of Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, they were actually written to little Christian communities uh, in those areas. And what I often find, how often do we read our Bible at home, which is great. But I have to remember as I read that, the letter from Paul to a group of people was actually read, maybe we didn't have this many people in one of their houses, <laughs> but it was actually read out to a community of people together. So I find a reminder for me, how do, I, how do I read the Bible as God's speaking to me? But how do I read the Bible as God's speaking to us as a faith community? Uh, there's, to illustrate, there's a ver do people know the 
the, the uh, first Jeremiah 29.11? We can probably almost quote it, can't we? For I know the plans I have for you, <laughs> plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Yeah? Does anyone like that verse? I do. It was interesting, without making too much about it, I had to go to a certain room before the service and I saw it on one of the walls, if you get what I'm saying. It's interesting, if you drill down into that verse, it's so weird, I love the verse, you think, oh, that, I feel good when I read that. <laughs> it's interesting if you stop and say, gee, that's in the book of Jeremiah. What is the book of Jeremiah about? When was the book of Jeremiah written? What was the context of the people who that was written to? And if you ask some of those questions, you actually find that those that would have received that word as part of a bigger uh, articulation, actually, can't spend too much time on it, but if you drill down, actually that verse is kind of saying, hello, you Israelite people, you've been carted off because you've been unfaithful. <laughs> and guess what? I do have a future hope for you, but you're just going to have to wait for a little while. Does anyone know how long? About 70 years. <laughs> so it doesn't, those verses, I love them. Because it says, I think God says, there is a hope and a future for each of us, whatever our past has been. It is also useful to say, when that was written, who were the original hearers and what did it mean to them? Because sometimes when you do that work, you find, oh, they would probably have heard this as possibly mostly bad news. I've got a future for you, but... A whole bunch of you will die before you get to that. So the Bible's written for us, but not specifically to us. So it doesn't hurt to say, what were the original hearers receiving when they read it? Uh, two more, and I've almost just underlined it. I love this. Never read a Bible verse. What? <laughs> Sounds a bit crazy, doesn't it? Well... You can read a Bible verse and build a whole bunch of stuff from it, but it doesn't hurt to say, well, what's the context this is in? You know, what else is it saying around it? And who is this book written to? And is it original uh, agreement, the Old Testament? Is it New Testament? And, and where does this fit in the narrative of God's work, God's redemptive work through history? Again, you can read more in that little book, How Not to Read the Bible, but it doesn't hurt to say, who is this written to? What did it mean then? And from that place then to ask, what does that mean for me and us now? You with that? Yeah? If you want more of that, you can read two of the books I said last week, How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth, How to Read the Bible Book by Book. The second one, there's an introduction to every book which actually says, this is who it was written to, this is why, etc. Last one, another thing to remember when you're reading the Bible is, in an amazing way, the whole of the Bible points to Jesus. Uh, not necessarily explicitly in every verse, uh, but as we read in Isaiah about the, the suffering servant, <laughs> as we look back, we now see those words that Isaiah, of Isaiah to the people of Israel was actually pointing forward to Jesus. So as you read the Bible, it doesn't hurt in the back of your head say, what's this saying now? But how does that point to Jesus? Uh, the fulfilment, ultimately, of 
uh, so many of the promises. So dig up that book, read it more. But just four things that don't hurt to ask yourself as you're reading the Bible to give a bit more context. Uh, Having said that, I just wanted to point to a couple of verses uh, and then an invitation, I guess you'd say. Uh, I think there's a verse that will come up, but having said what I just said, I didn't want to just read you one verse. So if you've got your you know, digital Bible out, uh, you can find it, and I'll eventually get to the verse that's on the screen. Second uh, Timothy chapter 3, verses 10 to 17. And if you've read much on this, really it's uh, the Apostle Paul writing to Timothy, a younger fella, who's been charged with responsibility uh, for, one, for some of the body of Christ. So picture yourself uh, a younger person receiving this from an older one who's been around a few more years. You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings. This is Paul. What kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium and Lystra? Some of the places. The persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Sorry about that. While evildoers and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, as in Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from who you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, that word again, known, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And I find it interesting to see what Paul, having said all of that, you've seen how I've lived. Uh, from an infant, you've known some of this. And then he goes on to talk about what would have essentially been, for us, the Old Testament is what he's referring to. Interesting what Paul says to Timothy, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, challenging, correcting and training in righteousness. So the servant of God, why? May be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So as you read the scripture, read it in such a way to say, well, gee, uh, what is this saying to me and how do I apply it? What was it saying to the original hearers? What is it saying to me? And how does it prepare me for every good work that God has already prepared for me? So that's one, an older person in the faith writing to a younger. Another one, Ephesians. Uh, again, if you're looking on, on a digital or physical Bible, 4.17 to 32. Uh, again, we believe Paul, uh, writing to a group of people. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. There you go. Who wants to live like that? <laughs> no thanks. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ 
and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. The bit on the screen. You were taught in regard to the former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And he goes on to list some of the particulars of that which we don't have time for. But the invitation, you think of the world we're in that tell us, it's, doesn't it send us certain messages about what we need to be, we, not we need to buy, what we need to drive to be okay, uh, what we need to think. The invitation to that people in Ephesus, put off that stuff and put on the new life of Christ, uh, the new self that is like God. Uh, set apart and holy. Another invitation to us to let go of some of the messages of the world and embrace the call of God on our lives. Last one and then finishing up. Uh, this is in James, so you'll hear more about this in the coming weeks, I believe. James 1, 19 to 27. Uh, we believe James was actually the brother of Jesus, and we believe they called him old Camel Knees. <laughs> what an affectionate nickname. Because he spent so many hours in prayer. So that was part of his character. Uh, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. We talked about this last week. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does know not what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom, the word, and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and keep oneself from being polluted by the world. I actually wanted to finish with that last verse. Uh, what is faith service that God accepts as pure and faultless? To look after orphans and widows in their distress and keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Uh, in finishing, if you look back at the prophets of the Old Testament, how often do they say, how are the vulnerable going? Uh, how are the single parents? Uh, how are they doing in our economy? Uh, how are the young people who are homeless? What about the refugees from other countries? How are they doing? So in finishing now, I think the invitation right through the word and in specific places is to ask, how are the vulnerable in Lonnie going? Uh, for those watching online, how are the vulnerable in your community? And like Wilberforce and his mates challenging slavery, which is the way things had been done for centuries, what is the invitation for each of us to care for those who need it? But more of that next week. Thank you.